bottom of the Smash Mountain. And today I'm so pleased to be joined by Dr. Z, a.k.a. Sheridan, who you all probably already know is one of the head tournament organizers for the Genesis Tournament Series. So, Sheridan, thank you so much for joining me here. Happy to be here. Yeah, so that is a big lead, but also, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I, I watched a little bit of one or two episodes of the Melee It On Me podcast from back in the day. And I was just curious if you wanted to expound on, as a starter, just to get warmed up here, if you were curious, uh, I was curious if you wanted to explain a little bit more about why comic books are not necessarily your favorite thing, your cup of tea. Why comic books are not my favorite thing? Um, well, let's see. I, I mean, it's not necessarily uh, the like medium as a whole. Um, you know, I do like, I did like uh, Watchmen and uh, V for Vendetta, you know, the Alan Moore stuff. But, you know, it's just this superhero stuff in general that I just don't really find that interesting. Um, I guess it's just, it just feels like it doesn't really have too much to say. And uh, I, I do like X-Men though. X-Men is really great. Um, not that I, I don't like follow it a bunch or anything, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it's just a little a little weird, and you know, not to not to talk down on anybody's um, enjoyment of it, but just um, you know, a little juvenile, I guess. Uh, and you know, that's fun sometimes. I enjoy plenty of juvenile things, but um, not that I guess not that in particular. Yeah, something that it speaks to already, not to, I don't want to make you feel like you're being psychoanalyzed here, but something else that I wanted to bring up, and I'll give a shout out to Hitbox Cameron, who was on here uh, the other day. The um, recording hasn't come out yet, but it was it was really cool to talk to him, and one of the things that he wanted me to pass on was you were one of the people on the All is Brawl site who kind of was an inspiration for him to be a little bit more mature on the internet, which is a hard transition for teenagers sometimes. But no, I just, I just think that your personality seems to be one where you, even in an earlier time of life, you're trying to think more towards falling for the less, less layups in the entertainment world. Like if a movie has a fart joke, you probably roll your eyes, that kind of thing. Right. Depends. You know, uh, one of my favorite comedies is Dumb and Dumber, and, you know, there's plenty <laughs> of just juvenile stuff in that, but it's hilarious. So um, I guess maybe maybe one thing that frustrates me about comic books or just superhero stuff is that it pretends to be – it has, like, serious pretense, but everything is in these costumes and stuff, and it's just hard to take seriously. Um, you know, I have seen some – uh, some of these movies that I enjoy, like um, I enjoyed Deadpool. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was fine. Um, did not like Iron Man. Uh, yeah, whatever. We can uh, move on from that. But yes, um, Cameron, uh, I, re- I remember Cameron posting a lot with him on All His Brawl. Um, I guess I was uh, at that time what you would call an effort poster. Maybe, I don't know if kids use that term anymore. But I, also, I was already, like, older than, than most people in the scene anyway. Um, and it's funny that you refer to, like, that as, a, like, an earlier uh, point in my life or career. Because even at that time, I'm, I was still older than a lot of people 
in the scene right now. And yeah, I mean, some of that was just posturing and trying to be the smart man on on the boards uh, like people do. Um, but yeah, you know, I um, I just enjoyed posting a lot in that time. And now it's just Twitter and you don't really get to, uh, to effort post a lot because you only have, you know, the medium is not designed for that anymore. No, you're absolutely right where you have 280 characters or whatever it is and yeah. that doesn't really present and nobody wants to press open on reading the thread well i mean sometimes i do but you get it it's hard to yeah. do anything other than just meme on a post that somebody else made that seems to be the meta of twitter exactly and it like changes slightly through time but i've just noticed that there seems to be like cycles of just oh uh, now we're doing this again and it I guess yeah. that's what makes the world go round now. But that's probably something, I mean, this is something that a lot of people talk about, right? Where they miss Smashboards, and I was never part of Smashboards. I thought about getting an account, but that was scary to me at the time because I I don't think I had any accounts for a long time until I was at least like 15 or 16. But I, I never knew what it was like to have a lot more creative space and like have things be a lot better organized that's what i hear a lot but like from you i mean you were on smashboards what what do you miss about it or is there something that you remember as we, as we're talking about it now yeah i mean like it's it's exactly like the, you don't get the opportunity to have the long discussions that that you used to i mean you can try on twitter but again like the platform is not designed for that and everything about it is designed to push you to making different choices about like how you post and what you write. And um, you get these little numbers back that tell you how good of a job you did. And you know, you remember what you did the previous time to get the numbers that made you happy. And uh, you just get locked into a pattern. With Smashboards, like, uh, you know, you had this, like the big box at the bottom that has all your text in it. And you're, it's almost like it's, it's asking you to fill up this box with, you know, all your opinions and whatever. And of course, like, sometimes that leads to just typing a thousand words of complete nonsense that you have to scroll through. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of just really great, uh, uh, really great discussion and, and um, ways of like talking about rules and uh, community issues at that time that you don't really get with Twitter, uh, especially because like with Twitter, uh, you are, it's like, it feels like you're expected to have an opinion about something like immediately. You gotta, you gotta have your take on it right then and there. And, you know, when you're posting on the boards, um, you know, your initial reply that says, hmm, I don't know about this. I could see the other side, whatever. You know, people can see that like, as an evolution, as you go through a thread, as people read through a thread, right? Uh, people can can understand that as a as somebody working through the dialogue, working through an issue. But on Twitter, it's really easy to see one person's post and um, strip it from any context, or rather, like throw your own context onto it and assume that they meant something else, and uh, get yourself really mad about it because that's what makes people post is getting really mad. So, um, yeah, I mean, 
like I said, that's like the kind of thing that the platform is designed to encourage. Uh, I remember like a lot of rules debates on Smashboards, you know, and it was it was probably good that we had those debates on Smashboards like before the rules were, were really finalized. Uh, we did all that stuff in threads and um, we had our own, you know, share of shit posters and effort posters there, but you know, eventually, like, uh, just because of the way you, the posts that you see, you know, there's no algorithm that tells you what should be important to you. You have to read the thing in chronological order, like a story. Yeah. So, so you, um, yeah, you, you kind of, if you want to get to the bottom, you got to see everybody's, see everybody's arguments um, in the context, you know, in, in chronological order. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like most of the rules, the rule, the rules that we ended up with were like pretty much nearly like fully crystallized by the time everybody migrated to Twitter, which I would say was, I don't know, maybe 2014, maybe. I mean, I got my Twitter account in 2015, um, and I was like. I was always like very anti Twitter for a long time uh, because like I can just use Facebook. Why do I need to use Twitter? I don't need to have two things to post on all the time. And then um, discussions on Facebook just kind of suck. So we just all moved to Twitter instead. And uh, now everything happens there instead of like Facebook groups, just because all the people who whose posts that you want to see, you see them on Twitter now instead of instead of Facebook. And I don't think that there's the reason why we haven't all in Smash, I guess, is specifically moved to something else is because something else hasn't come along that's been like, oh, we should go here. I feel like it sort of ended up becoming, well, everybody's posting on Twitter. The top players are posting on Twitter. I want to follow the top players. I want to see what they're tweeting about. It's kind of like a fear of missing out. And that is real. That is super real. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's certain advantages to Twitter too, right? I'm not, I'm not, there's obviously a reason people are there beyond uh, just wanting to see their, like their numbers go up. Right. Like it's for certain things, it's, it's very convenient. Uh, There's like a lot better ways to, customize your your feed and aggregate what you want and what you don't want um to a limited extent so you know if you if you uh just only follow like information about tournaments that you want or like a specific set of players that you're interested in you can have a good experience you know um generally like my twitter stays pretty good because i just follow people that i like and you know animals and stuff you know having having a great time for the most part um, so there's uses to it, but most people don't use it, uh, necessarily in that way. So, um, as for what could possibly replace it, I don't know. Uh, I, it depends on like what we're trying to do. I have a hard time imagining that there's something else that we could all just, just move to just because I feel like, uh, just culturally, we're just so used to used to engaging with each other on Twitter and there's like other uses for it beyond just smash. And, um, if we can just do that stuff and smash on one place, it feels like it feels really convenient, I guess. 
and having another thing to check on just um, seems like there would be a lot of a lot of friction there. Uh, but you know that may, maybe that's just the limits of my imagination. Maybe other people have good ideas too. I don't know. I would hope that somebody comes along at some point and does a really smart, convenient, intelligent thing, but I can't. No, I can't either. I can't think of anything. You were talking a little bit about how even in like the 2000, I was probably around 2007, as I recall, Cameron, talking about it with me last night a little bit, but just basically you had been involved since longer than that. So I am interested in hearing what first got you into Smash, if it was seeing melee come out or or what got you in specifically let's see so i actually went to e3 2001 because uh, one of my friends was working in the industry and they had a, a pass uh, i never played 64 until long after i got to melee but at at that e3 is where i saw melee for the first time and it looked really cool and uh i asked for it for christmas and I got it for Christmas on December 2001 and just had a super fun time playing, you know, target test and home run contest for a long time. Uh, you know, clearing all-star mode on very hard. Thought it was amazing after that. Uh, and then I brought it back to college afterwards and uh, played a bunch with my roommates and eventually i decided you know I'm, i've got to be the best out of out of everyone here is there anybody that can challenge me and this is like uh got to be around 2004 and i uh went looking to try to see like do other people play this game because my roy is really sick and i need everybody to know about my roy uh and i Found like I, I found like the old, really old uh, websites where they had like the the TG, um, the old like tournament go results, and I think there were like some biweeklies, and um, I noticed that there was going to be a tournament in San Jose in August, which was TG six, and that was the first tournament that I ever went to, and I was a complete noob, didn't even bring my own controller. Didn't even know what BYOC was. I was, uh, I was, you know, I I avoided like the complete trifecta of noobdom um, because uh, my roommate said, "No, I think your Jigglypuff is actually better than your Roy." And so, if it wasn't for him, I would have gone to that tournament, uh, no controller and maining Roy. And at the time, uh, you know, maybe people still know, but like at the time. The, the biggest stereotype about noobs is that uh, they thought Roy and Link were the two best characters in the game because Roy's got fire moves, his forward smash is insane. How are you going to be him? Uh, Link's up B move, unbeatable. Uh, huge range, does that weird spike thing. How are you going to sweet spot? It's impossible. So um, thankfully, I, uh, I went to that tournament and I played Jigglypuff. And uh, went 0-2, of course, although um, I almost beat Bob Money, who wasn't called Bob Money at the time. Uh, he had an even stupider nickname, Ferno, and he played Captain Falcon. And I almost beat him, uh, but I, I went 0-2.
but it was still really fun. Like I, I got to play a lot of friendlies, got to see like people who were better than me play, uh, got to experience losing to better people, which was really fun. Uh, and then I went to another tournament the very next week, which was also in San Jose and, um, got to win like my first tournament sets there. Uh, this was like a complete noob tournament organized by a, people that didn't know what they were doing, uh, because I distinctly remember playing sets on, uh, Mushroom Kingdom one and like foresight and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know like what was good or bad rules. I just like. These people are running a tournament. They, they must know what they're doing. Um, so anyway, after that, like, I had started looking for every tournament that I could go to. And um, there wasn't a lot for a long time, even in NorCal. But eventually, the, um, the, the folks in Concord, uh, specifically Germ, hosted a big smash fest at, at Germ's place in January of 2005. And that was like uh, probably like the most formative Smash Fest for that era of NorCal Melee because I went there, a bunch of people from Sacramento went there, and a bunch of people from the uh, San Francisco and the Peninsula scene went there as well. And a lot of people that would go on to be like um, big staples of the community for the next several years. Uh, so it was really great there, like meeting a lot of people and seeing like other people use different characters that I had never seen used and uh, learning about um, where I could go to find like videos of good people playing tournament matches. And uh, I actually signed up for Smashboards like in June of 2003, but I like basically didn't use it or didn't post until after, uh, after TG6, which was that tournament in August. And, um, yeah, from there, I just, you know, started going to as much as I could and, um, just meeting as many people as possible. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of like the, the very beginning of my entrance into Smash. And you've stuck with Jigglypuff since then. So is that a character that you would say is still your main even to this day? Yeah. Um, for a while, I thought maybe I would switch to Peach, um, or Marth. But I ended up just not being able to, like, beat people as well with those characters. Um, uh, although my Peach in doubles on Green Greens, undefeated, impossible. <laughs> you can't win. Uh, man, Green Greens was, a lot, was around for a long time, too. Uh, uh, and Rainbow and, Cruise as well probably overstayed their welcome. Rainbow Cruise, yeah. Uh, that was one of the last ones. To get the boot um oh man i'll never forget some of the arguments that i had about green greens though on smashboards terrible stage really fun but terrible for competition were you able to enjoy so i, I heard on slippy april 1st that a bunch of stages like mute city rainbow cruise were put onto unranked for that day or maybe it was for a week or so i, I don't mm -hmm. know because i'm I have been unable to play Slippy until this point. I will be getting into that very soon. But the point is, is that I saw 
all kinds of angry Twitter posts and it just <laughs> made me happy because I just love it when somebody yeah. pulls out the rug on someone who goes and it was really also funny to hear people talking about Pokemon Stadium going a transform I've never seen a transform before and now <laughs> you know they've just gotten enduring slippy but I thought that was really funny and and you were like I mean come on <laughs> You yeah. don't know what we used to do out here. <laughs> yeah, it's good for everybody to experience the pain that, uh, that other people <laughs> felt. It's good for people to uh, know what it's like to be counterpicked to Corneria by a fox as a floaty. Um, yeah, that, that was really rough times. Uh, I unfortunately did not uh, get too many matches in while that was going on, but it sounded like a blast. I wish I could have played more. I saw this ridiculous combo that PPU somehow pulled up on um, Donkey Kong 64 stage. It was so funny, like using the barrel into a knee, something like that. It was hilarious. But speaking of doubles, you mentioned that a little bit. That's something that you have played continuously for tournaments that you've entered, at least the ones listed on your Liquipedia page, that you enter doubles and, and perform fairly well at regionals and even well at majors. So... There's one tournament in particular that I'll ask you about, but just doubles in general, like what about that is, is fun for you or that you really enjoy, or is it the teamwork aspect, whatever comes to mind for you? Yeah. Um, well, it helps that Puff is really strong in doubles. So like people want to team with Puffs a lot. So I got a lot of, a lot of practice. Um, I think that uh, in true West Coast style, like I have kind of an impatient style of play um, I just always like to, to attack and my, um, I am not really a camper. I don't know how to camp. I wouldn't know like, how to win at that strategy. And so with, with doubles, like, um, you're not so much doing like all this footsie stuff so much of the time, like you're, you're scrapping or you're edge guarding or you're getting somebody else out of a bad situation. I feel like it's always like um, the the like high level strategy is like always it's, it's a lot more easy for me to understand like what I'm supposed to be doing. Whereas like if I'm a puff and I have like a Marth or a Fox just dash dancing around on the other side of the stage, like I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go in. I guess I'm just going to try to guess when they're going to jump or do something stupid. And, um, you know, I can get you pretty far. Um, it got me pretty far, like until people learned to L cancel really well. Um, but yeah, and, and, uh, with doubles, like, I just feel like that, that weird sense of like, what am I supposed to do is just gone. Like, it's always like fairly, it's, it's more clear for me, like what I'm supposed to be doing at any given point in time. And even though my tech skill is not the best, like if I'm in the place where I'm supposed to be, like I can... I can make things happen. And um, I, I love thinking about like all the little micro situations in teams and having to make a decision like really quickly, um, even though like you're having to take in all this information on the screen and like process it into like one decision. I think that's also like, that's, that's the other big thing about teams that I like is having to like look at a big picture and figure out really quickly okay, what am I, what am I supposed to do? What's the read like for the next, um, the next, like, you know, half second, one second, two seconds. What's like, what's the best thing for me to be doing right now? 
I think like that challenge of like taking that all in and making a decision out of it is the thing that's that like really interests me about teams and just keeps me coming back every time. And then something that I think is really cool is how even in like the era of rollback, eventually doubles became a possibility as well. It's not like if according to what I hear, you have to definitely want to be on the same coast as everybody who's in, who's in on the game, but <clears throat> that it's for the most part still pretty playable with good connections. And that's really cool. That's insane to think about already that Melee has rollback, but then rollback doubles where there's four computers yeah, internet connections you have to have right, and that's that's wild. Yeah, actually, and I've ended up in some uh, doubles matches with Drug Fox, who's like twenty five hundred miles away from me, and it still worked out like pretty decently. Um, he must have really good internet. Uh, I know I we have really good internet at our place. We have like a fiber connection that we just got. So ooh, congratulations! If have, yeah, if you have two people with good internet, like it works like across coasts too, I guess. Um, and yeah, like anytime, like the discords that I'm in, uh, like mention doubles, like I always like, okay, do I have anything else I need to do in the next hour? And if not, I'll be like, okay, I'm in for doubles. And you just, you just can't keep me away from doubles. <laughs> so and I love doing like with, with anybody, like one of my favorite things to do at, big tournaments it's just find completely random players doesn't matter how good or bad they are just go in play doubles and just get them to enjoy it and we all enjoy just like crazy stuff together if i'm like way better than them you know i can pick like um pick like characters that i want to be better at but i'm not you know like falcon or Sheik or samus or something who are not my best characters but I really enjoy like learning anyway and um, just go for a stupid stuff and just uh, have a good time with people. So specifically one of like the tournament performances I like stood out the most was you and Scar teaming up for, I think it was, yeah, Big House 3. Big House 3, yeah. Like what do you remember from that, from that experience? Because I, I didn't want to spoil it for myself at all. I wanted to hear it from you if you have yeah. anything. Um. It was kind of one of those things where my my thought going into it was uh, Scar Scar's an East Coast guy, and he'd been he'd been on the West Coast for for a few years at that point, but there's there's West Coast Scar and there's East Coast Scar, right? And uh, East Coast Scar is not the biggest fan of doubles, so my thought process was. Um, I'm not going to try to talk too much to, to Bobby about what he needs to do, what he should do. I'm just going to let him do what he feels is best and just follow up. And uh, it's best just to let him lead and whatever happens, happens. And uh, he was just on a roll that whole tournament because if I remember correctly, I think this was, this was the tournament where he... Uh, so he got destroyed by Hanky Panky at some tournament like just before this. And I think this was the same tournament where he like he meets him again and like four stalks him and does like the thing where he looks into the camera with his scar face um, and just stares down the camera. 
So he was just on one that whole weekend. And you know, we were fortunate that uh, he just, I mean, I cleaned up all, some of his messes, but really he was, he was carrying for a lot of it. That's really cool to hear. Like, it's just like a, it's, it's getting that revenge and then just having that high where you go, all right, yeah. I just can't do anything wrong. And I can sort of picture, like, I don't know, I don't have a ton of doubles experience, but I, I feel like Falcon and, and Puff, like if the Falcon's just going in and trying to like, just clear a path of destruction and then Puff is like mm -hmm. coming from behind, like, all right, I'll save you if you're getting edge guarded. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the basic formula in my understanding correctly. Yeah, and the thing with Falcon and teams is like, um, if he's getting edge guarded, as long as he's not getting like the quick giant spike gimps, it's okay for him to get like hit off the stage a bunch of times because it takes him a really long time to recover, especially like the further out he gets hit. So it's more time for the, the partner to get over there and try to disrupt the other team's edge guard. You know, if a Falcon has really good DI, they survive for a really long time. They have control about, like, where they can up B and when they need to up B. And, you know, if if he wants to, he could just up B and just go directly to the middle of the stage. And it's like, yeah, in singles, that would get you punished really hard. But in doubles, um, yeah, they may, they may hit you again. But, you know, if your partner's there, uh, you know, if you get Marth forward aired again, they're not going to be able to follow that up. So unless you get like a really clean edge guard on Falcon, you know, him getting sent off the stage is not a huge deal. And, you know, as Puff, I have a lot more choice about where I want to be on the stage. Whereas if I was like, um, if I was like a Sheik or something, you know, getting behind the other two, uh, the two opponents would be more difficult. Um, but with like Puff's mobility, I can decide I want to be like at the edge and try to disrupt the opponents. So, uh, makes for a pretty good team. It's really cool hearing you talk about the game itself because I think the, the first temptation for me as, as someone who's been more of an observer throughout this entire time and I'm only just now more recently trying to get more involved is that I'll see tournament organizers like yourself or Juggle Guy or Math.7 go, how much do they know about the game itself if, if, if maybe they decided that competition wasn't going to be their only focus with the game they had other skills they wanted to get into it more but then i'll watch math.zeb highlights or i'll see you play or i'll see juggle guy play and i'll go oh no they're actually just really good at this game too they're not necessarily going to surprise a top player in bracket 100 percent of the time but like still really really good players and that's awesome to hear yeah um i would say like uh i definitely peaked in like 2013, 2014 or so. Um, and surprisingly, that's when I was unemployed for a little bit after uh, after graduating grad school. And then when I had to get a job, um, I didn't get as good results, you know. Um, and also, Fox has learned how to L-cancel every time they hit Puff's shield, and I couldn't get up for rests every time. Um, so, yeah, uh, definitely have, like, fallen off getting washed up a little bit but you know still still really fun um attend you know still attend all the uh the locals even though people i've never heard of can beat me now but uh yeah i mean i don't think i don't think i would have um stayed as long as i have or like formed the kind of relationship i have 
if I wasn't at least like somewhat decent at this stuff. So when you originally started trying to host tournaments, how early was that? And what was like maybe perhaps a motivation that you had, or did you feel like you had to do it as some sort of responsibility that, that you put on yourself? Uh, so there's, uh, I, there's a difference between like hosting and TOing, I guess. So mm. I didn't really host in the sense of like getting the venue or providing the venue too much. Mostly I was like the guy where somebody's like, I have this, I have this venue. Can you run the bracket and organize the other stuff? And it started with the bi-weekly tournaments that were happening at San Jose state starting in 2005 and eventually I was like, you know, these tournaments are fine, but I feel like we could do, we could do better. Um, we don't have to end at 9 PM every time. Uh, we don't have to like take people's whole day. We could finish early and everybody go out to dinner. We could try more interesting like brackets. We could have good seating. So, um, it was around 2006 when I was like, hey, let me let me try running some of these events. I have some ideas about how we could improve them. And um, basically started like, I, I don't want to say taking over, but like uh, making most of the decisions about like the brackets from that point on. And um, we did a lot of fun stuff. Like we tried out Swiss, we tried out like, people's weird formats that they wanted to have. Cause like, it was still pretty low stakes, right? This was just bi-weeklies, um, you know, the MLG stuff was going on. So if, like there was an MLG event in the next couple of weeks, you know, we would do something serious, but if, if nothing was happening, we would just, you know, we would play around with different rules, uh, at those, at those bi-weeklies and NorCal also at that time, uh, our larger events were not known for being good. Uh, we had a couple, couple like minor disaster events, um, like larger events that we tried to run. And, you know, at that point I was like, okay, I've been running these smaller events for a while. I think again, like I can do better and we can have better tournaments. And I don't really remember like the first big event that I, that I helped out with, but you know, starting in like 2007, 2008 is when I basically became like the guy for uh, at least brackets and scheduling and, and like some logistics. And um, then after I became like kind of the guy for that uh, and Brawl came out and we wanted to have a really big tournament the the uh the conquer guys the dbr guys um said hey you know I, i've been training with them for a long time at this point so i knew all of them pretty well but they're like hey uh, come out to this denny's in like san mateo or wherever it was and uh we're gonna plan like we're gonna plan an event and that was like january of 2009 and that's where we got all these ideas to run the first genesis and uh so we like you know wrote down everything that we were going to need and, uh, you know, ate Denny's at midnight at this place and then um, went over to one of their houses that's like in the forest in the Santa Cruz mountains 
and had a, a bad like all night smash fest until 6 a.m and that's when like really the planning for for genesis one started happening and that's when i kind of knew that like this was something that like i could i could do this i could run like the biggest events that were going to happen in the community and it's something like like i could do for a long time and even from the very beginning, like planning Genesis, it wasn't just you. It was a crew of other people who were all going, I can do this. Here's an idea. There's like a collaboration already. And, and it seems like that's something that is important to you. I, I hear that from other tournament organizers as well that run big events. And they'll say, finding people to do jobs that I either I'm not good at or I just don't have time for and delegating, like that's such an important part. But then it's it's awesome to hear how either by the power of melee or just by yourself being equipped to do this is finding those right people to run events with right yeah and and again like they were uh the the conquered guys were really the people who found the venue and like got the the main idea together and i was there to like work think about logistics and the brackets and schedules and everything like that which was like the biggest uh, challenge for me up to that point. And um, did the same thing again with them for Genesis 2. And um, yeah, again, like at, at that point, I was still just only doing like the logistics stuff and not thinking about where do I go for venues? Who do I talk to to like make this rental happen? And that, and that stuff. Uh, um, they took care of all that, and they just like they knew me as the logistics guy and practical. But you were able to do enough, obviously. To Genesis one was uh, very successful, and Genesis, yeah. two, and then every single one has a really unique, deep story that's like worthy of. I mean, each one could get like an hour long, two hour long documentary, or that's that's kind of how I feel about like just like going back and watching like top eight sets and that sort of thing. But so much more goes into that. It's bloomed into this entire weekend or for Genesis eight. One example is just like people saying, what are we going to do the week before? We're going to make a whole week out of this. We're not even going to wait for Thursday or Friday when it officially starts. We're like doing stuff the whole week and everybody's like so excited for Genesis 8 so I hate like skipping forward through so much of, of history but I also want to be respectful of your time so if you don't mind I'd like to talk a little bit about Genesis 8 and I guess the one thing being the obvious thing being the question of where the pandemic is and like and why you felt confident might, might not might not be the right word but just there have been other majors or tournament organizers coming forward and saying we're putting out our event and this is what we're going to do to try to be safe and also have contingency plans and that seems to be the roughest thing out of all of this for someone running mm -hmm. an event is having any sort of backup for if the event completely falls apart because my basic understanding is that an event will be in the red will be in the red and after everything's all said and done might not be in the red but even that's not a guarantee and I'm just interested like hearing your thoughts about that yeah that's that's definitely true especially because uh for for melee or for just for smash in general the vast majority of a big tournament's revenue is still venue fees registrations uh we're nowhere near the point where sponsorships come even close to that 
for, you know, um, people paying to like have uh, uh, a vendor stall, like that is, that stuff is like still a very small piece of the pie compared to venue fees. And when you announce, you don't know what kind of response you're going to get. And so you have to think about, you have to think about scenarios where you like, you get, oh, I only got 60% of what I was expecting, or uh, I got 150% of what I was expecting, but now I have to switch up all these logistical issues. Like, am I going to have space in the venue for all of this? Can I like still provide a good experience for people? And uh, yeah, you really just don't know until until the, the numbers come in and you launch registration uh, which scenario you're going to find yourself in. And for Genesis 8, yeah, it, it was even more uncertain. We felt pretty confident about numbers just based on registration for Riptide and CEO, which like we'd been monitoring. And when we were talking to the venues about um, <clears throat> which venues we, we wanted to use and when we wanted to sign contracts, we tried to stretch it out so that we didn't have to sign anything until we had a really good idea of what the numbers were going to be like. Because like if Riptide only got like 400 people or something, we would have had to go back to the venues and say, all right, we, we got to change our plan. Um, and we don't know what we could do. We got to have time to figure it out. Meanwhile, other people are trying to book those same venues for events. So like the window that we had to figure out if we could actually do Genesis 8 or not was like really small. Because if, you know, if Riptide came back and CEO came back with really uh, uncertain numbers, then we might have just had to let the opportunity go to, um, to some other group that wanted to run events at the venues that we were looking at. And we had to do something completely different. So, but, you know, we, we took a, yeah, like, it, the numbers look good, so we just went ahead with it. And... Um, obviously spent a lot of time with the venue thinking about, okay, here, what are all the different COVID scenarios and what is the result going to be like for us if, if something happens? And the venue was able to make like certain concessions or certain contingency plans that we thought were going to work out. So, you know, we just thought, okay, uh, worst case scenario is, um, you know, it's it's a big risk, but if we don't do this, then it's also a really big risk because uh, we don't know if we're going to be able to, to do this again. Some other tournament might might take its place. Uh, the venues might not might not always have space for us, um, and yeah. So so we launched registration on. Uh, July 18th or whatever it was, and got like 2,000 people to sign up in the first week, which was well beyond our expectations and uh, just completely insane. Um, we, yeah, I mean, we're we're at the numbers we were um, like right now for the number of registrants, mm -hmm. where G7 was in like the middle of December. So. Oh, my word. <laughs> I have no idea where we're going to end up. My fear is like, this is the year smashers all learn to register early. And 
we're not going to get those like crazy bumps uh, for reg deadlines. Um, it would be it would be tragic if like Smashers learned the lesson about registering early at exactly the wrong time for us. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. Judging, we'll we'll have to see like uh, what other other tournaments late registration pushes uh, end up end up going towards. And this is a shout out to Robin, who I had messaged earlier today and said, hey, I'm having Sheridan on. Is there a question or two you thought that would be good to ask? And <laughs> he threw out some heaters. Uh, the one the one that's sort of like a softball into the question after this is the decision making between Oakland and San Jose. I think Genesis 7 was held at a place in Oakland. Is that correct? But you're, you're in San Jose now. So what was the main or contributing factors to landing in San Jose? Was it just mostly about the venue itself or were there other concerns or, or considerations, I should say? Yeah, so it's, it's multiple things. Um, there's, there's pros and cons to each one. The, the venue at Oakland, um, it's really, I like the space a lot. Uh, it's, connected to the hotel really easily, which is nice. Uh, very easy to get to with transit. The disadvantage is, is that it doesn't have like a theater right, right next to it. And San Jose does, and they're managed by the same people. So when we work with San Jose, um, <clears throat> we can book the, the, you know, the, the convention hall and the theater hall through the same person and make sure that like our dates are lined up and we have everything um, just, it's, it's much easier logistically that way. Uh, with Oakland, you know, we have to have separate conversations with the, the theaters around there. And, you know, there's, it's less likely that like we can make some kind of like combination deal to reduce costs. Uh, San Jose was like, it was more easy to um, put together this whole package for them where we have the convention center and the theater. And, you know, when you buy more things from people, they are, they have a tendency to like lower your overhead, their overhead costs for you. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, uh, San Jose was just able to make a better deal, uh, in terms of like financing this thing and just the cost that we were going to owe them. And, um, that's not to say it was the only reason. Uh, I think also just having this theater right across the street makes a lot of things easier just on the production side of things and on the attendees to some extent. I was actually, the first time we ran Genesis in Oakland was G5, and I was really worried that Smashers were going to complain about the 10 to 15 minute walk to the Paramount from the venue. And I was like, I was, I was very afraid that, uh, like after the tournament, we were going to get a lot of complaints about it, but surprisingly we did it only, only, only a few people really didn't like that. Um, but it's still like, it's still a problem for, for logistics in a lot of ways. Uh, another thing about San Jose is there's more room to grow there at the Oakland venue. Uh, you have one big hall which is about 60,000 square feet and then a bunch of like small rooms and that's like that's the max you can you can work with at san jose they have like over 200,000 
total square feet that you can use. And, you know, we're not going to be using all of that, but uh, <clears throat> it's a lot. If we, if we need to get bigger, you know, for example, if we need to do social distancing, spread people out more, it's going to be a lot easier to do that if we can go, instead of 60,000, use 100,000 square feet, for example. So, um, and that became, you know, obviously even more important because of, because of COVID. So I think, yeah, those are, those are some of the, the big factors in why we moved over to San Jose. 200,000 square feet is a lot of nice room to work with. Not that, again, you're not immediately going, launching into that, but that is insane that it's like, yeah, yeah, 60,000 is pretty good, but then just 200,000. Yeah. That, that is incredible. But it's also cool that, that even if the location is not exactly in the same city, like the feeling still carries. I, I, I think that most people would agree with that, that it still is Genesis. It's not necessarily has to be anchored in, in one city per se. So this is a question from me because I'm thinking about it right now. I don't, I'm not trying to pitch this to you so much as like, what if there was a Genesis series that was sort of a different city each year mm -hmm. or that would move more or less? Would that ever be something that would appeal to you, or do you like that it's West Coast and that it's California in particular? Um, hmm. you know, well, we actually started in San Jose, so G three and four were in were in San Jose, and then we moved to Portland. Um, a big reason that NorCal is really good for this is that, again, since we are dependent so much on venue fees, it helps when you're in a region that just has a huge population. Um, especially like colleges and younger people uh, who play this game. So when we put it in NorCal, we know that there's just a huge base that doesn't have to think a lot about travel that can come to the tournaments because they don't have to spend, you know, three or $400 on airfare and a hotel and whatever. So that's like, that's a big reason why we keep it in NorCal, uh, even though like, Space rental is extremely expensive here. <clears throat> but, um, you know, maybe you get to a point where people are just going to travel to you regardless. And I don't know if we're quite there with Genesis or not, where we could do it in, like, Seattle or something, and people would still come at the same numbers. Um, yeah, I think it would be cool. We, we've talked about doing it in, in different cities, like, if if we if we actually couldn't do it in NorCal because of uh, we couldn't secure the venue because we weren't certain about about like numbers or COVID scenarios, we actually thought about seeing if we could do it in SoCal instead, um, or even Vegas. Even though I detest Las Vegas, uh, and um, sorry, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Cameron. Um, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> Cameron, Bear, all of you guys from Vegas. Now, the Vegas guys, I mean, I, the Vegas uh, scene has actually helped out Genesis um, in multiple ways during that, throughout the whole time. You know, it, no smoke at anybody who lives in Las Vegas. I would just kill myself if I lived there. Or, you know, find a way out. Um, uh, but anyway, yes. Um, yeah, we, we thought about, like, doing it. In, in other cities and um, yeah I don't know what the future is gonna hold it's uh, 
it'll depend a lot on how G8 turns out and maybe how G9 turns out. And um, I think also now that like Evo, Evo's future is like kind of uncertain, especially with regard to Smash, right. since it's been bought by Sony. Yeah. And uh, who knows like what their relationship with Nintendo is. You know, if there's not like a Vegas tournament for Smash, something's got to fill that hole. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, why not Genesis? I don't know. Other than my personal feelings towards that city, maybe we do a, a NorCal Genesis and a Vegas Genesis, you know, two Geneses a year. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, depends a lot about what happens with Evo and, and Nintendo and everything. You kind of like walked yourself into Robin's next question. This is insane. It's the it is the the big publisher question. Nintendo, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So my I'll try to keep it to a place where you can talk without having to look over your shoulder. But it's just there was a lot of waves made by Nintendo coming in to the big house ten online and saying yeah no and there have been seemingly no uh, issues since or not that have none that have been public facing. So I recognize that you can say whatever you want to or not want to, but just in general with Nintendo being the way that Nintendo is, Mm -hmm. what, what are your, what would be concerns if, if, for example, if they, if they approached you and said, hey, we would like to do what we've done in previous Genesis, which um, more or less reading between the lines is like, hey, you can't do Frozen this or you can't do UCF that. Like, what are your thoughts there if you are willing to share? So uh, two important things I think to understand is <clears throat> uh, even disregarding any kind of like agreement, legal agreement that tournaments have with Nintendo, uh, the general understanding is that Nintendo still has the right to shut down streaming for an event uh, for any reason they want. They just don't like you, just because they have the the um, they have the the copyright on all of that stuff. And if they don't want it streamed, um, they will almost certainly win legally there. So you know, no matter what agreement happens or doesn't happen with Nintendo we still have to think about what is going to get them mad enough to want to take action. And uh, the other thing is that like, what is our working theory about why Nintendo came after Big House and not anything else? This is just my, I mean, this may or may not reflect like other people. Um, some people agree with me, some people don't. Um, but the, my, at least my working theory is that Nintendo came after Big House mostly because they had a long prior relationship with them. And they felt threatened, they felt like, maybe threatened is not the right word, but they felt like um, if people saw a tournament that has long been associated with Nintendo do something that is supposedly outside of, uh, you know, how Nintendo likes to protect their copyrights, then um, they might start to think about Nintendo differently. Or they might think that uh, because this tournament and Nintendo have had some 
some agreement in the past that maybe this agreement, uh, maybe this means, hey, I can, all these other tournaments are going to do this stuff now. And all the people that have been getting shut down by Nintendo in the past, uh, not tournaments, but, you know, YouTube monetization, emulators, uh, maybe they'll think, okay, it's just a free-for-all now. So that's that's kind of my my theory about it, is that they didn't want the Nintendo Associated Tournament doing something like that. And that would explain why Big House and why not Summit, why not Ludwig's thing. Um, although Ludwig's thing had like a charity aspect to it, which makes it like an even bigger like PR disaster if Nintendo wanted to do something like that for them. And, but that also makes it a lot trickier for Genesis because we have had like a longer relationship with Nintendo than basically every other uh, tournament series. I'm not sure when Robins started, but ours started uh, either G3 or G4. I, I don't remember exactly. And, um, you know, it wasn't like a sponsorship. It's a, it's a partnership. Right. Uh, you know, it's not like they gave us a, a shitload of money or anything like that. Um, you know, a lot of it was just, uh, we're not going to sue you if you do right. this stuff. Yeah. So, um, obviously like the exact details are under NDA, unfortunately, but it's not like they're extremely like groundbreaking or interesting or anything like that. But yeah, that is the current situation that, uh, we kind of find ourselves in is, um, what can we, what, what is, Nintendo going to get exceptionally mad or not at. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we're, yeah. Um, I, and there's even like a certain danger in discussing it too much over the internet. Um, I'm not so worried about, about like the podcast, but if something like blows up on Twitter and people start talking about something like uh, a feature, a whole bunch, then that's something, you know, maybe Nintendo realizes that they need to pay attention to it and there's like some uh there's some uh i guess security and obscurity in um in how we approach this whole thing so that's why like i, I think that's a bigger reason why a lot of people just are reticent to talk about it um more than anything else i could definitely bury this lead at the very least this doesn't have to be a twitter clip but Maybe maybe the comic book thing will be the Twitter clip. I wanted to, well, <clears throat> firstly, thank you for coming on and get in the direction of wrapping up. I guess the, um, the, the last question that I would have for you is, is what do you, aside from the fact that there are so many things that you have to keep an eye on for, for Genesis 8, there are probably just a bajillion things, and then you agree to come onto the podcast, and I'm just very thankful that you agreed to do that, is what you want to see out of Genesis 8 in terms of looking forward to it happening for yourself. If it's a selfish goal or if it's for a community-wide goal, like what's something that you want to see come out of Genesis 8 as the tournament wraps up and, and the after weeks? Yeah. Um, you know, like the thing that, that one of the things that keeps me going, like running these events is like thinking about all the, 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 the friendships and the relationships and just great experiences I've had with this community because of going to tournaments that other people have hosted and, you know, knowing and looking back at, at Genesis events and seeing like the connections that, that other people have made. 
um, just by having a great time at Genesis and, um, you know, seeing like so many of the matches just pass immediately into, you know, melee legend and history. Um, just being able to like, to, I just hope that Genesis 8 can help like, you know, put everything back together um, better than better than the way it was before even. And I'm, you know, really grateful to events like Riptide and, um, and uh, uh, CEO and like main stage and um, uh, the in-person events that the Smash World Tour is going to have for really like paving the way for events like ours to happen. Uh, because like we, Genesis is like too risky to do as the first one to come back. So like I'm really grateful for those events to to take the first step, and I just hope that like that we can live up to the hype and um, people are going to be able to uh, create those great relationships and memories that are going to last their whole lives at Genesis. Awesome, that's probably going to be the Twitter clip, Sheridan. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to make sure that you can tell the people where they want to find you. Uh, if, where they can find you and also how to register for Genesis, that sort of stuff. Yes. Uh, let's see. My Twitter is at Sheridactyls. I wanted Sheridactyl, but I had to pluralize it because the singular was already taken. Uh, so at Sheridactyls, and you can follow at Genesis underscore Smash for all of your Genesis updates. And you can just go to smashgg slash G8 to register for Genesis. And um, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best daggum January yeah. into February tournament uh, of 2022 ever. Yes, January 28th through 30th of January, January 2022. Uh, San Jose, California, in the San Jose Convention Center, and then finals across the street in the beautiful uh, San Jose uh, National Civic Center, um, where so many of those like iconic shots from Finals Day uh, you've seen in the past are from. So don't miss out. And once again, Sheridan, thank you for your, sorry, what? And get vaccinated, please. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. One more time, Sheridan, thank you so much for joining me on Bottom of the Smash Mountain. My pleasure. It was really fun. Thank you.